Is everybody excited to get into God's Word together? Grab your iPads or your phones or your analog Bibles, your physical Bibles, and uh, just open up your Bibles to Matthew 25. We're just going to dive right in. Um, we've been in a little, little mini three-week kind of kingdom of God. I mean, really, we talk about the kingdom every week with all due respect because we, we always talk about Jesus, and he's the king of the kingdom. And... Um, you know, uh, Matthew uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Say that with me. The kingdom of heaven is like or will be like. And, you know, this, this phrase is, I like to say, say it like this. When God is reigning and ruling as king and people are responding to his lordship, heaven overlaps with earth. Um, everywhere Jesus goes, he is, he is the door, he is the fountain of every blessing of God the Father where he is. And so if there's a sinner in his path, he's able to just say, you're forgiven. If there's a sick person in his path, he's able to say, get up and walk. The entire ministry of Jesus is one of perpetually taking the reality of heaven, the, the reality that he experience from before time began and as he partnered with the Father and the Spirit and creation and then when he finally took on the, the flesh, skin and bone of, of, of humanity, of man, Jesus' whole ministry was about fusing the two realities of God's realm and human's realm overlapping in his person. And so this is his mandate. And, and guess what? This is your and I's mandate too because you know whose image we bear? His. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, we're actually delivered from the dominion of darkness. We're brought into a brand new kingdom called the kingdom of light. And that kingdom of light has a central figure named the Son of God. And the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of many sons and daughters. What does that mean? It means he's not the exception to the rule. He's only the exception to the rule in the fact that he was sinless. But he is the rule that all of humanity who put their faith in him are meant to walk in and after of his likeness. He's the firstborn, the Bible says, of many offspring. And if you're born of God, if you've trusted in Jesus, that his cross was, was not just for the sins of the world, but for your sins, and you've bound yourself in faith to him, you and I have the same mandate that Jesus Christ had. That is to be those people who live submitted to his lordship, practicing his ways, and where we go, heaven's reality, heaven's desire, God's desire can find a person through whom he can do his will, purpose, and agenda. So, so anyway, that, that's a summary. Um, so in Matthew 25, last week we looked at the parable of the ten bridesmaids, and we talked about the importance of staying filled with God's Spirit. How many think it's a sort of important dynamic to be filled with God in the days that we're in? I mean, there's a lot of people who are full of a lot of stuff. But God's people, what we have is not to be full of bitterness or, or, or resentment or anger or, or, uh, or, or stinkiness. God's people are supposed to be filled with God. That's our highest calling is to be filled with him. And everywhere we go, he leaks out. That is our, that's all of our, if we had, if we had business cards for every, order, every ordinary Christian who's in Christ and submitted to the spirit and wanting to just be full, our job description is, I want to be so full of him that wherever I go, he gets out. 
period. So, uh, you know, in Matthew 25, we talked about th- these bridesmaids who were supposed to stay awake, were supposed to stay filled, and, and how to do that. And, and just to back up a little bit to give you some context, in Matthew 24 and 25, you'll see if you have a, a Bible, even your app, all of the letters are read. So this is like two chapters of Jesus just releasing his heart before he goes to the cross. How many know when, when someone's about to pass from this life and this experience onto the next, you want to lean into what they're saying? I mean, you, when it comes to Jesus, you sort of always want to listen to him. Okay, let's just be clear. You don't, don't like, Pastor Chad said, just only listen to these last two chapters. And they didn't say that. But you want to lean in. Jesus has been forming these men called disciples and women called disciples. And he's been imparting his heart. He's been demonstrating the kingdom. He's been healing in front of them, forgiving in front of them, rebuking them. Showing them stories of what it looks like when God's in charge, when he's reigning and when he's ruling. He's been spending three long, grueling years with a bunch of knuckleheads who keep not understanding what heaven looks like when it overlaps and overtakes earth's reality. And so he's regularly rebuking and training. He's praying in front of them all the time. In fact, the only thing the disciples asked to be taught was to pray like Jesus. So he's modeling relationship with God. And right here towards the end in Matthew 24 and 5, Jesus knows the cross is just around the corner. And so he starts telling them, the times you're entering are going to be pretty stinking and intense. And if you're taken off guard by it, and you're not ready, you will be swept with the swirl and the tide of the spirit of the age if you are not under the influence of a superior reality called the Holy Spirit. And so there's these long chapters and so much damage has been done, bad exegesis and bad interpretation and whatever, but the, 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 prime, the principle is not to figure out dates, okay, when is Jesus coming? It's to live in a posture of readiness, staying awake and alert to his presence, staying in love with him and submitted to his lordship, and so that when the day comes that Jesus doesn't even know when the day is. But you and I, every week, and I, I shameless plug again for a Sunday, you and I, every week, have the opportunity to remind each other to stay awake, stay in love, and stay filled. Every week and all throughout the week. Because you don't know the day or the hour. The church has been waiting for 2,000 years for the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated with his life, death, and ministry to be consummated at his second coming. For 2,000 years... Millions of believers have always thought, gosh, could it be in our generation? I'm here to tell you, it could be in our generation. I mean, it'd be kind of cool. It'd be unprecedented to be a part of the generation where Jesus returns. Come on, how many want to be awake when that day comes? And so this, this next parable is just phenomenal. I hope you think it is so practical that you are like, wait, what? That's how I stay ready? Like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing? 
That's my hope. I'm serious. That's my hope. Because I feel like so much damage is done if we think that, that the day that's coming, you and I should just be burying our heads in the sand and just kind of staying in a corner and shrunken down and have a low view of God and a vision for life in his kingdom. No, my hope after the end of this talk, your eyes are lifted. Your heart is swelling with hope. And you, you're like never before, who you are in God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just just burn like fire within you that you and I actually get to participate in that in-between space called the now and the not yet. And I, my, my hope and prayer at the end of this talk is that you don't view that now and not yet in a spirit of defeatism or I'm just holding on until it gets better, until Jesus takes me. But no, your heart is fully alive to participate with all that you are in God's purposes. That's good stuff right there. I gotta skip a bunch now. Okay, go forward two slides, Justin, if you can. I love you. So that's the intro. You don't know the day or the hour, so what are we supposed to do between the times? I love this. Let's read this on the screen. This is, I prom- I have a lot of life verses, but this might be the, 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 the life verse. Let's read it together. Because of the increase of wickedness, The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So again, by way of quick review, what do we do in the in-between from the time Jesus came to the time Jesus comes in this pregnant middle. Number one, we've got to stay in love. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay in love, buddy. (laughs) Stay in love. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't let your love for fill in the blank trump and transcend your love for him. And by the way, you staying in love is not you gritting your teeth and I'm just going to put up with God. No, it's responding to the one who's radically pursuing you in love. We're just so careful to say that around here because there's all sorts of bad thinking and theology that can say you and I are the initiators and even sustainers of any of the thing that belongs to God. Nope, we're responders to the one who initiates, creates, and sustains. That's everything, or you'll get burned out, grumpy sideways, you'll get bitter at church and bitter at God and think, oh, he just didn't come through. No, it's learning to respond more and more to the one who wants to fill you with love. What else do we do? We stand firm in faith. Yes. The faith. Whenever you see the faith, it's not just cognitive. It's this, it's this body of the gospel of the kingdom, standing firm in the truth. It's like this. It's, uh, it's 1 Peter chapter 5 when he writes this masterful letter, and he, you know, he's closing. And A lot of times if you skip the last part of letters, sometimes you skip some nuggets. But Peter gets done writing this beautiful letter to the church that's scattered, you know, because they were Jesus followers. And they're in persecution. They're all alone. And he's all, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand firm in the faith. Don't move from your hope in the gospel. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And he who has inaugurated his kingdom will bring it in fullness. Don't lose hope in the middle. Stand firm. And then number three, to be about the family business. Come on, what was the, what's the family business? On earth as it is in heaven. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, the family business, if I'm in Christ and God is my father, then my family business that I'm grafted into is on earth as it is in heaven. 
So keep, keep, so keep watch, stay awake. Say that with me, stay awake and keep watch. Stay awake and keep watch. Stay awake and keep watch. And what you'll find, and I, I, man, I'm under its influence. That's why, like yesterday, I took four prayer walks. I don't know, I just like, not all of them were long, so it's like one around the block or just like a block. Because I just like, Lord, I want to stay awake, and I just, this word is burning in my heart, so I just walk it out. Walk it out. Stay awake and keep watch. So then we did the 10 Bridesmaids. Go listen to the podcast last week. Let's dive into the story. It's a phenomenal story, very familiar. Try to break through your know-it-all familiarity and see what the Holy Spirit has for you today. Come on, how many know even know-it-alls can know more, can be pierced with their heart? Even if you've heard the story a thousand times, there's something fresh the Holy Spirit wants to show you today. So it says this, for the kingdom of heaven, it's like a man going on a journey and he summons his slaves or servants, and he entrusts his property to them. To one he gave five talents, or the NIV calls it bags of gold. It's a little bit more helpful. That's what they were, weights of, of, of substance. To another he gave two, to another he gave one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. So the first thing we have to understand with this story of what about that radical middle between the kingdom Come and the kingdom that is coming right here in this now and not yet. What are, we're supposed to stay in love, stand firm in faith, be about the Father's business. We're supposed to stay awake and stay alert. But so first point that I want everyone to get today is that God has given you gifts and capacities. Come on, just say that with me with your confession. God has given me gifts. God has given me resources. God has given me capacities. God has given me stuff. The, the, the first thing you have to know, because the story ends pretty gnarly, but the story, you have to see the goodness of God right here at the beginning. He has given gifts, talents. Uh, every commentator literally is different on this, trying to guess how much was a talent worth. Let's just say one talent is worth anywhere between 15 to 40 years of wages. So how many know, even if you're the guy that got one talent, that's like a lifetime of income. It's the goodness of God, people. Come on, just say that. God, you are good. You are the cheerful giver. And God is the one who chooses who gets five, two, or one. So instead of being grumpy that you didn't get, how about you just start being thankful, God, I'm just glad I'm a part of the, the party. I'm stoked that I get to be in your business. How many know comparison kills the people of God in stepping out of what they've been given? Because if you think your gift or your capacity has to measure up with that person, A, B, C, or D, and you never take a step of faith, that will not go well for you. What if God could break that thing and instead of comparing we would, and contrasting, we would just say, God, thank you for what you've given me. You're a cheerful giver. I can't believe I get to be in your family. This is awesome. Ah, the one who received five talents went off and he at once began to trade with his lots of money. And he made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, you have to see this. Remember, the reason why I want this to be so overtly practical, the context of this parable is Jesus is like, this is what my people are supposed to be doing between the times. 
So many of us, because we're, we're, we're children of the enlightenment, where there's secular and there's sacred, where there's my spiritual life and then the rest of my life, I want you to know the Bible wasn't written in that context. It was written through a Middle Eastern context, which all of life is spiritual. All of us are an opportunity to please and honor God. So you and I see this and we go, gosh, I would think Jesus would want us to be more spiritual in between the time he came and he's coming. And Jesus is all, how about we just start with the natural gifts and graces I gave you? What are you doing with those things between the time you put your faith in me and the time you're going to see my face? See, I think we always want to like dichotomize and compartmentalize. And I want you to know the good news of the gospel of the kingdom is that it breaks through all compartments so that all of life now becomes an opportunity to love him, worship him, and show his glory. The kingdom of God, why it's such good news is I don't have to live seven different personality lives. I can live one under the lordship and empowering presence of Jesus. And now all of my life can be a part of seeing heaven come to earth through the the offering of my little life. Gosh, that's good news. That's why it's called the good news of the kingdom. Yeah. So you see it. Everyone see the story? That's the story. What's happening? The first two guys did something with what they were given. The other guy, what? He didn't. Oh, come on, buddy. After a long time. I love that we're still living in that long time. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's been 2,000 plus years. When's he going to come? The master of the slaves came and settled accounts with them. there will be a settling, right? We saw it in our last parable from last Sunday. The bridegroom is going to come, and you've gotta be ready for his coming. Because when that door is shut, doesn't matter how big your muscles are, you can't open it. So Jesus tells us these stories, not because he's mean and grumpy, because he knows stories have a way to seep into our hearts, our minds, our emotions, like the narrative we function out of. And he knows stories have the capacity to grab us in the deepest part of who we are. I love that about Jesus. So he tells us this dynamic story. We will be held accountable for what we've been given. You will be held accountable. I will with the talents and the abilities, the resources, the capacities. There will be a settling. Then the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh. And then the one who had two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I made two more. His master said, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. What happened? Help me out. So many of us, and Katie always hammers this, 
have an anemic view of the God who actually wants to respond to our faithfulness with reward. Do you know we have a good God and he's all, do something with I gave you. How many want those words, well done, good and trustworthy, we're doulosses, we're love slaves of Jesus. That's the context, but servants of Jesus. What I love about this is that even though the guy who had five, remember, it wasn't his idea to have five. God, it was God's idea to give him five. Come on, someone say, it's God's idea. I can trust him with that. I'm gonna steward what he's given me. But the same commendation, the same reward was given to both. Well done, good and faithful servant. Share the joy of your master. In other words, When the master sees those he's entrusted his resources, in this sense, it's bags of large sums of capital. When he sees his servants take that and maximize, cultivate, to to stretch it, to invest, to take some risks. Every commentary I read talked about the risk these guys took because they could have lost their investment. Come on, someone, anyone ever lose an investment? It's risky. These guys had no guarantee that five more were coming, but you see the master rewarding their risk to make much of their servants, re- their, their, their master's return. They thought the risk was worth it because they so wanted to please and steward what their master entrusted them with. Come on, how many know a little risk can go a long way if our eyes are on him and the vision is the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Same as the first slave. I took what you gave me, I put it to work. But no, there's no room for bickering or complaining regarding the amount God sovereignly gave. So to compare to another person is useless. And I love it that the story doesn't tell us if like, oh, that's not fair. Because what? The kingdom principle is you are faithful with what I gave you, more is coming. Oh, that's like, sounds like bad prosperity gospel, baloney. You don't think God wants to find people he can trust with his resources and abilities to maximize and further his kingdom on the earth? You don't think God, the cheerful giver, isn't looking for people who aren't gonna take what he gives them and terminate it on themselves, but who are like, God, I can't believe you gave this. I'm gonna put it to work for your glory. Okay. But then the one who'd received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What do you guys see here? Let it soak in. Hmm. Not knowing the master in fear. Right. I put it like this. A woefully inadequate and accurate view of the master will motivate us to live lives far below what we're designed to live. His perception of his master drove his attitude and his action. 
the confession of this third slave is these, these, these things. I knew that you were a hard man. Meanwhile, Jesus just got done telling parables about the, the way God is, is like the people who get hired at 6 a.m. and the ones at 5 p.m., he just rewards. He's just excited to put them to, to, to work. Jesus just showed us the, the way the master is in both Matthew 20 and Matthew 18 when he's like, you owed me 150,000 years of debt, but with one word and plea for my mercy, I wipe out your whole debt. That's how good I am. So Jesus, throughout the parables and the stories of his kingdom, they're presenting a, a dynamic, glorious picture of a God, not of a hard man. So how many know this guy's already off base? But listen, that base you and I are all too familiar with. You see, I'm convinced that, that, that part of the, the lie and of the first sin and the first temptation in, in, in the Garden of Eden, I remember one of my professors taught us this, and it's been stuck with me for all these years, is, is that the enemy painted God in a light where his goodness was diminished and life apart from him would somehow lead to a path of flourishing rather than realizing God had already given them everything to steward and cultivate. In other words, the enemy's like, He's holding out on you. So this man's suffering from a sin that humanity has bought into from, from garden onward. You're hard. Not only that, but you're a trickster. You're a taskmaster. You sow, you, you, you take offerings from places you didn't even sow in. So he thinks he's a trickster, that he's, he's not only is he hard, but he's, he's not just. He's not good. And then here's this, he's impossible to please. No one's ever suffered from that mentality with the master, with God. Am I the only one that's ever bought into that lie that, God, I'm just trying to please you, but I can't. Thanks for your sympathy laughter. Has anyone ever had a hard time with a low view of God that he's impossible? I'm the only one in the room. Woo! And then ultimately this vision that God is angry and that he's on edge. You would have came and you would have. But more importantly, I would say this, that, that this third slave and so many of us did not have a vision for, king, for kingdom life. And what do I mean by that? This guy thought, man, you know, I didn't take a risk with your money. I should at least get rewarded for that. I mean, what if I would? I only got one. The other guy got two and five. I mean, I, I just buried it. That's way safer than like giving it to like venture capitalists and they could have done something and made it mad. But I, what if I would have lost? And, but the, the, the reality is this guy did not have a, a, a vision of life in God's kingdom. And, and why is that so important? What is included in the kingdom? All of life. Yeah. Say that with me. All of life. Business, ethics, politics, economics, art, media, church, entertainment, family, education, government, rest, recreation, work. All of these things are involved in a kingdom. And did you know that Jesus is king over all of it? And so if you and I, like this man, don't think that what I do with the capacities and resources God has given me is somehow integral to participating in life and his kingdom, we have a woefully inadequate view of who we're called to be and become in Jesus' name. And I believe this with all of my heart. Compartmentalization has killed our imagination and aspirations for experiencing and expressing God's kingdom in our everyday life. 
because I think God's not interested in that, he's only interested in the spiritual side of me, how, many, how much have we missed opportunity to bring the Father glory by, by doing good, cool stuff? By, by realizing everything he's given us is an opportunity for heaven to invade the earth through that thing. God does not get glory by you and I hiding what he's given us. He expects an ROI. Sorry, whatever that word, return on investment. He's like, I gave it to you. Listen, this is as old as Genesis 1 and 2. I made you in my image. Now be fruitful and multiply. I bless you. You can rule, have dominion over all things. You guys are little kings and little queens with me over all of creation. I want you to cultivate and to develop and to steward all of this for my glory. Did you know that is still your and I's mandate in Jesus' name? It's still our mandate. His view of God drove his attitude and action in his everyday life in his everyday life. Justin, help me out. Skip through like four slides, because, yeah. Verse 26. Matthew, thank you, brother. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown. So he's like, okay, you think that's how I am? Let's just play it your way. You think I've sown where, not, where I gather, where I've not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You see, he was projecting his own inner dialogue and reality upon God. He thought God was wicked, but the reality was... Listen, this is why I so believe in release ministry. You and I live out of whatever vision we're projecting upon God. And part of central, principally what Release Ministries is about is about identifying things that we think are attributable to God, but they're rooted in lies, resentment, bitterness, or hurt. And beloved, when that vision of God gets cleared off, something happens to you, you can begin to walk and flourish in your God-given identity and destiny. Was that fair enough? That's fair. That's, yeah. And this guy suffered from a wrong view of God, and it, it cost him his life, as we're going to see. Come on, how many want the Holy Spirit to, to give you a vision of the true reality of the God that, that is calling you to follow him, revealed perfectly in Jesus? We need God to open our eyes. I love this. You should have at least put my money with the bankers. You know, I... I didn't see this in the commentary, but I think in practical talk, you should have at least shown up to a nine-to-five job without complaining. <laughs> Come on, how many know everyday ordinary work brings glory to the God of all creation? He invented work. He invented work. I say this as often as I can. Work was not a result of the fall. He gave them work to do in Genesis 1 and 2. Fall came in Genesis 3. Work is something you and I are designed for. Good work. Using our capacities, our resources, our abilities, and to put it to work. Come on, how many know what it is after you put a full day in? There's something to be said about exhaustion, but how many know that good tired, like that was good? 
Raise your hand at me. Like, I may be tired. Like, Sunday, I can't tell you how often. I'll probably do it this afternoon if my wife lets me. So, so often, about 2 o'clock p.m., I'm like, I got to get out because the kids are bed. I'm like, gosh, I wish I had another service. Like, you know, I get up early. We plan for these service, but there's something that when you're engaging in that place of grace on your life, that the more you do it, the more you want to. Like, 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 and my desire and dream for the church is that you wouldn't have a vision that life in the kingdom looks like being a preacher someday. No, the vision for, for you is that I would discover that talent, one, two, or five, that he's given me, and I would get seized with the vision that God can get glory through my little life and my little offering, that whatever he's given grace for me to do, as I step into it, the Father is glorified, and Jesus will re- receive a reward for the faithfulness. You may not be called to be a preacher on a platform. Whatever that thing is for you, that's how the Father wants to get glory in that, in that place. Man, this is the good news of the kingdom because everything's included in a kingdom. I already gave you the slide. Oh. You should have at least given money to the banker. In other words, just be, even just start with being faithful at your nine to five. That'll bring me glory. Come on, someone, is this thing working? Wait, I can give glory to God by showing up with a good attitude and, and working. Whatever my job, I can bring glory to him right now. Come on, is that good news to anybody? Because so many of us are like, if my vision for pleasing God is just the super spiritual people, and like, and the, like you will suffer from, A, a low view of God, mild-grade spiritual depression, because then you'll never feel like he's honored in your life. You need to get seized by a vision of the kingdom of God in your life. And if you're a builder, then build to his glory. If you're a stay-at-home mom, then stay home and raise your kids for his glory. Man, if you're in business, then do great work. Treat your employees well and do a great product. If you're a teacher, then raise up the next generation to not just know A, B, C, and D, but to know right and wrong, just and unjust. You understand all of it is an opportunity to give glory to the God of all heaven and earth. This is a vision. It's the vision of life in the kingdom. It's all on the table when he is Lord over it all. I can bring him glory by the way I, by the way I don't step on the creek. Okay, I don't know if that brings him glory. I don't know. This, really, this, this is the quote for the whole sermon. I wish I thought of it. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because I suffer from a low view of God, like this third servant slave, and I think he's mean, hard, taskmaster, he can't be pleased, and he doesn't really care the talent he gave me, he just wants me to bury it, because if I actually step out and risk, what if I fail? How many know God can get glory in your failure if you're doing it in his name? He can get glory, but you, and when we have a low view of God, because, listen, a a true vision of God has a way to drive out sin, to drive out idols, to drive out double-mindedness if you get a real vision of God and his glory. Like, how many know when you see him, sin looks less appealing? And so what Tozer's getting at is because so many of us have such a low view of God, a hundred, hundreds of lesser evils are in our midst because we haven't really seen him. Because if we saw him for who he is and who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do, 
we would have an all-out yes, God, whatever it is, I want to experience your fullness. I want to bring you glory. I want to live in the fullness of your kingdom. Does that make sense? Yes, Thank you. So take the bag of gold from that one who was wicked and lazy, who was projecting his own vision of me on me, and give his one to the guy who's got ten. For whoever has will be given more. They will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and thrown that worthless servant. Gosh, this is Jesus. Into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No. So the issue is not, do I have one, two, or five? God gets to choose that. The issue is, in that in-between space, of the now and the not yet. What am I doing with what he gave me? Can you just nod your head at me? Does that, does that question have a little bit more weight now? What am I doing with what? He gave me. He's good, he, he gave me stuff. The point is that to be ready for Christ's coming does not mean playing it safe or doing little or nothing. It demands the kind of service and stewardship that produces increase. That was the one commentator that was smart. What would it look like for Cornerstone Church, for you in this room, to just say, God, break through my fear and small-mindedness. Give me a better vision of who you are, Jesus. And I want you, Holy Spirit, to begin to breathe life onto all of my life as I seek to bring glory to the Father. What would happen what phone call would you make? What class would you take? What risk, what endeavor to bring him glory, to see people brought into the kingdom, to see people uh, loved and nurtured and cared for? That's what the last parable's about at 25. What is that thing in you that's like, oh, you have 800 reasons why not, but there's, there's still that glimmer in your heart that's like, but why not? God actually wants you and I to take what he's given us and to go all in and say, Father, even if I fall on my face, I don't want to play it safe. I want to bring you glory. I want to see you receive an awesome return on what you've trusted. Am I freaking any of you people who love predictability, security, safety? I didn't write the parable. It's not me. I didn't do it. It's all red letters. He wants us to steward and grow in what we've given. This frees us to live wholeheartedly with all of our strength and not get bogged down with comparison or competition. Not all people receive the same ability, but every person in this room has been given something to steward and to cultivate and to tease out and to discover and to have fun doing it. It's fun. No, okay, you don't believe me. It is. The issue really is, God, am I going to waste my life from suffering from a low view of you or in laziness? Or can you give me wisdom, righteousness, and can I participate in life as seen and experienced through Jesus? What we do and how we live in the natural, ordinary, everyday stuff of life has eternal and spiritual repercussions for eternity. That's the one-liner. Like, like what we do 
So we have to understand this. God's like, I just wish we were like, God, am I spiritual enough? He's like, you're too spiritual. That's not possible. He's like, can we talk about like your abilities, like the talents, your money? I want all of it to bring me glory. And meanwhile, we're like, Lord, here's this part of my life I think you want to breathe on. He's all, open your hands. Like, stretch them out. Wider. That's how much I want to infuse with my life. That's how much I want to get glory in you and through you as you participate in my kingdom. What we do with our everyday, and I say this, man, because it's bad. If you think what you do for God what, whatever it is, your job, your, 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 your money, your finances, your abilities, your talents, your time, your treasure, all the T's, time, treasure, talent. And you think that when Jesus comes, he's just gonna wipe all that away and you're like, gosh, that was a bummer. I wasted my life. I could have at least like been bad until like a few days before I died. So then the... You know you thought it. Do you understand that what you do in the name of Jesus, in the spirit of Jesus, for the sake of his kingdom, will last forever? Oh my goodness. Forever. Justin, fast forward to the last two, three screens. I love you. Skipping all that. Such good stuff. I'll tell you later. The screens I had him skip were all the verses that said, you want to know how to impact culture? Be devoted to doing good stuff. <laughs> There's like seven verses, different verses. Like, you want to know how to impact? Just be devoted to excellence. Take whatever, all of the verses, now I'm, they're there. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Do great stuff. Let that light, put it on the stand of your life, on your house, wherever you are, whatever talent you're stewarding and caring. Let my light shine from that place and the world will give glory to the Father by seeing that light. And then this, I just, this, this is a trustworthy saying. I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful. This is Jesus too. That's, you know, to devote themselves to doing what is good? Take what I've given you, double it, triple it. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So here's the last just rapid fire points. So Chatty, okay, God's given me something and it frees me because he chose it and now I get to just discover it, receive it. I gotta trust Jesus and I want the spirit to breathe on it. I wanna take the talent and I just want God, whatever I have a proclivity for, my personality, my makeup, he must have thought it was a good enough idea because he doesn't screw up or make mistakes. I'm his handiwork. I'm his masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. Yeah. When he sees me and he sees you, he delights. He rejoices. He says, there's one of my kids. I love how I made them. I'm so glad that... He or she is not like him or her. I need a bunch of people who realize I don't make copies or seconds. I had enough goodness and grace to pour it out over all of my people who bear my image. And so everyone matters. Everyone has a gift and a grace and a talent. This is the goodness of God. Oh, he's so good. My prayer, okay, that's true. And that means if I'm in the kingdom because I trust Jesus, that means all of my life now is 
There's almost like a, a posture of playfulness I can adopt. Like a kid. Oh, that's right. The kingdom belongs to kids. Matthew 18 and 19. He says it twice, back to back, in case we missed it. It's almost playful to go, oh my goodness, if he can get glory through this, then this changes everything. Do you see that? My nine to five. My creative outlet. My... He can get glory in it. Oh, Holy Spirit, show me how. Oh, I'm going to get together with other people because they'll see the grace of my life sometimes when I can't see it because I'm so bogged down and so I'm so used to comparing and contrasting. I have no idea who I am. So I need you to speak into my life. That's how we're ending the service, by the way. If you don't know who you are, if you don't know what you carry, if you don't know those talents, the prayer team is going to help you discern by praying over you and with you to say, God, just show them who they are in Jesus. God, show them those talents, those gifts and graces they're meant to cultivate and steward. You know why? Because the time is precious, but no one's story in this room is finished. There's no time like today to say, oh, that's what it is. I can't wait to put it to work for Jesus' glory. All right. So start with what you've got, not what you're not. Say it with me. Start with what you've got not what you're not. How many would say that is the grace of God if I just live that one out? I can't, well, it's great, you shouldn't. God made him or her that way because that's how he wanted to make them. Who are you? Start with what you've got. I love this because in the parable, they went right out and started doing stuff. Start immediate, but just start small. You don't, you're like, dude, I'm just in this discovery zone. Okay, maybe you don't want to invest all of it. Like, just start with what you've got, not what you're not. Start immediate. You can start small. How many know? A little tiny flickering flame can set a forest on fire with the right conditions. That's a good word right there. So whatever it is, my prayer that as you leave this room in just like two minutes, there's a sense of, oh my goodness, between the time he came and he's coming, I can start. Right here. Stewarding. I love this. Say, Holy Spirit, I just want to be wholehearted all the time. Oh, so whatever I'm doing, my heart is just yours. So you can fill the most mundane, ordinary, seemingly insignificant stuff with heaven because I'm postured with a perpetual gaze upward. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I want to bring you glory through this. Excellence in everything. Excellence. If, if I'm like in the kingdom, I'm a citizen of God, man, I can just, everything I do, I can try to do with, all, with my best ability. This one I like because it's a play on words. Major on the monotony. Be faithful with little. The principle and the ter- talents is God's going to take care of the reward. Whatever he's given, you just be faithful with it. And then the last one, focus on faithfulness and the fruitfulness will follow. You know who wants to get glory in and through your life more than you and I could ever want to bring glory to God is God. The Father loves when his kids bring him glory more than we could ever even want to do it. So if you and I just say, God, I want to be faithful, whether it's five, two, or one, for your kingdom's sake, I want to be faithful so that you can receive fruit from my life. Screenshot it if you want, whatever. Everyone has been given something. 
from Jesus. And this is how we get to participate today. Prayer team, come on up. Leadership, come on up. Raise your hand. Did God speak to anyone here today? You think, just did he provoke you, challenge you, make you mad, grumpy, sad, happy? And let's just all stand. Pastor Ken, come on up. We need more people up here, brother. Patrick, come on up. And I know it's 1127, but the good games all start later. (laughs) And our services last an hour and a half get over. That's just what they are. Thanks for coming, by the way. But I do not want to skip on this part, people. These are just everyday, ordinary people. That's not a slam. Who just love Jesus. And they want to help you discover who you are in Jesus. Maybe a little more. If this message has hit your heart and you're like, dude, I have no clue who I am or what I carry. But I want to bring glory to the master. I just want you to come. Grab one of these people. Don't grab them. Just shake their hand. Just tap them. Let them partner with you just to say, Jesus, let's help discern what those talents are. How many believe the word of the Lord today that I've got at least one? Say it with me. I've got at least one. And the Father can get glory through my one or my two or my five. How many believe that? Say amen. Amen. So God, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go play and just have a worshipful environment when I pray. So if you need to go, you can. But I really want, if if that's something that's like important to you, I'd love for you to come and just have someone pray with you and believe for God's best. So I'll just pray a general prayer. So Father, I, I love you. I thank you for this parable. Thank you for the life that you're inviting us into in the kingdom, that it's exciting, that it's all encompassing. Thank you that every person has a part to play because every person has been given gifts from a father. So Lord, right now, I just ask that you would activate that grace. I ask that you would pour out revelation that every person in this room would know who they are in you and they'd begin to walk in your fullness. They would start immediate and even start small, but you would begin to breathe on our church that the kingdom of God would advance and that the master would be shocked by the return from those who call Cornerstone home. In Jesus' name I pray this, amen.